So when it comes to personal growth, we all need help. I lived in, this, I lived in New York since 1997, and I would say for the most part, uh, well, I would say for many seasons, I have walked in relative spiritual environments and been sort of stumbling around in the dark. And I think that's true of, of, of many of us who have uh, who come to a certain degree of maturity. We recognize that but we, we live in a certain uh, degree of, of blindness to our own circumstances and uh, situations. And therefore, we're always looking for people, maybe we're looking for the programs that help us, that help guide us. Jesus, with this passage, says that that's all good. That's all uh, right. Uh, it's all true. But it's also right to first examine our own heart and to ask ourselves the question, am I actually ready? Am I able to receive uh, that which I need? Am I able to, to receive the uh, Am I able to do it? And if not, uh, oh. and so he gives us a parable. And this parable is called uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, but it can also be referred to as the parable of the soil. And the reason for that is because if you notice the three primary elements here, right? You have the sower who is the farmer of God, and you have the seed, which is the word of God, the truth. Those two elements stay the same. But it's the soil that changes. It's the soil that stays image, or excuse me, it's the soil that change. And so Jesus provides us a parable to examine our own hearts, uh, to examine uh, behavior. Soon for him. <laughs> and I don't think you either realize it here. I mean, So what changes here is the soil. And so the question is, upon what soil is, is the word about land? Right? Upon what soil, upon what condition is, is your heart when you hear uh, the word of God? Um, is, it, is it hard? Is it thorny? Uh, is it dried out? Or is it fertile? Are you able to receive the word? And, and if it is fertile, how, how come? How is it fertile? And so our present awareness of our spiritual condition is one of the primary means through which we're able to grow. It's the front, one of the primary uh, things we need to focus on so that we're able to grow. So Jesus gives us this parable. And within this parable, he uses particular language. He says that within this parable are the secrets of the, of the kingdom of God. The secrets of the kingdom of God. And what is the secret? The secret is a fact. It's actually mysterious. And so let's look at some facts that are actually fairly mysterious to, to all of us. And let's look at three secrets. The secret of you, the secret of God, and the secret about others. So the secret about you, the human condition. Uh, the secret about God, 
and the secret about those around us. But first, the secret about you. What's the secret about us as human beings? Uh, every one of us. The first secret I think we can learn about is that contrary to our assumptions, though we recognize we're in need, we're not always willing, able, or ready to receive that which we actually need. Though we know that we actually need help in this life, that we're not actually willing, ready, or able often to receive the very thing that we need. Now, I would say, like, part of spiritual, spiritual growth, spiritual growth is the humility to recognize, boy, I need help in this life, right? And I would say most of the people that I know would say, I'm looking for you. But we also assume that if I were to come into contact with that thing that I need, I'd be able to recognize what it is. I saw a man in the, the desert, and I saw a tall glass of water. I would recognize it for what it is, and I'd take it in and drink. Spiritually speaking, we're told that this actually means that we're not ready, willing, and able to receive the very thing that we actually need. This came home for me uh, when I was in seminary. A guy named Christopher Hitchens came through the seminary. And he was debating the merits of Christianity, the merits of religion, and the religion is good or bad for humanity. And he was debating a lot of um, seminary professors and so on and so forth. And he came to a parable. Now, Christopher Hitchens, if you know Hitchens, you know he is brilliant, he is, is frustrating, and he is enjoyable to read and listen to. You cannot help but be attracted by his mind and his wit. You want to have a meal with this guy. And yet he's diametrically opposed to Christianity and the idea of God. But he's brilliant. And that's unquestionable. But he comes to this parable and he's in this debate. And out of his humility, he hears something and he says about the parable of the prodigal son. He never heard that interpretation before. He learned something for the first time and he confessed it. What was compelling to me was what he learned for the first time was the most basic application. This man was so brilliant. And yet the fundamental truth that most kids in, in children's ministry would know at the end of the first year, so I won't go into it, was a mystery. So parables are interesting devices, they're interesting cooling devices, and people use them all the time. What they are is an illustration that doesn't just prove a point. It's an illustration that provides an indication against the people of the illustration that is just as long about humanity and the ability to receive that which we actually need. So, as we come to this, let's recognize our own situation. I've been looking beautiful in this parable. We need to be a and yet, there's a barrier. There's a barrier. And so let me just invite you to enter into it a little bit, to you know, hang with me despite this wonderful beginning. Um, and to enter into it. You know, one time I was invited to a friend's apartment. And I believe he lived in a similar apartment. He lived in the city his entire life. This apartment was handed down to him. So I went in and I realized once I got inside the apartment, it wasn't studio at all. In fact, it was a it was. Uh, multiple apartments that were going together. When I got in, I was a little surprised because I continued to like spend time in that house. Every time I came around, I was wondering 
There was another hallway that led to another room, another kitchen. I was completely surprised by it. Similar, that's how terrible school is. And so I would I would imagine that as today you'll see some aspects that maybe you haven't seen before. But as it sits with you, as you read, allow it to inform you and expand your hearts and minds. Okay, let's look at let's talk about the parable. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. It's a diverse crowd. And if you want to know who they probably are, you can look in, in chapter seven. In chapter seven. Jesus has been ministering and speaking to uh, a lot of different people, some scribes, some religious scholars, Pharisees, religious experts. He has ministered to uh, a woman caught in sin, a sinful woman, uh, who we find out later that is Mary Magdalene in chapter eight. So this is a woman who's a trafficked person. Uh, she was a, perhaps a, a sex worker. You know, we don't know all the. Uh, Details there, but I think it's safe to assume, you know, tradition tells us she's a traffic individual. So she's there, but it's also uh, a, almost a universally agrarian culture. So for Jesus to use a parable about farmers would have been to, you know, would have spoken right to the community. Everybody, whether they're actually a farmer or their brothers were farmers or their whoever were farmers, they all knew farming was about it. So he speaks to this community and he describes a farmer who sows seed. And there are four different uh, four different implications for the seed that's sown, or four different terrains, shall I say, that, that are that the seed lands upon. The first is hard, right? It's a hard soil. And when it lands, it just stays on the top. Why? Because it's been walked on. It's been in some real sense neglected. Now Imagine a field with multiple rows that have been dedicated for planting. They have been nurtured, cultivated so that they can experience growth, harvest. And in between those rows are neglected spaces. They're the space you have to walk upon. You have to say, I gotta sacrifice this, they're not gonna get to see. I gotta, we're gonna cultivate these other areas. And so this neglected space, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the, the space that's utilized and walked in. And so when it hits that, of course, it can't penetrate, can't get deep. And therefore, what happens? The birds come, they, they fly away. Every farmer would have said, hey, I hate it They're taking seeds, they're taking food out of my baby's mouth. I hate it. The second soil is a dry soil. And we think about it, it's just rocky, but when we think about it, think about dry because of the heat, because of the conditions. And so if this seed is the word of God, what, what happens is, is uh, the word of God uh, lands in the soil and it begins to grow. It begins to have life. There's an excitement by the word. And yet the, the circumstances and the situation in which that seed is falling is not conducive to the long-term growth. So what that means is uh, the heat, the heat often means trials and tribulations. So trials set in, and therefore it prohibits the opportunity for the, for the, the seed to actually take root and flourish. So it describes the moisture divides. The second, uh, or the third soil is a fertile soil. And it might be too fertile. Everything grows. The word of God grows, the word of man grows, 
the word of industry and lust and power, everything grows in it. But what you see what happens is is that more energy begins to go to the pleasures, to the desires, and it chokes out all of the energy, all the life that's meant to go towards the word of God. And so eventually the weeds overwhelm it. Right? And so in, in those, you know, in the first, second, and third, all the farmers would have said, I've had that experience. I've seen, I've seen crops begin to grow and wither and and I have no control over that. It was the it was the season, it was the weather. I have no control over that. I, I broke my leg. I couldn't tend to the soil. The circumstances and then they, they'd also look at the, the soil and they'd say, uh, that was super fertile. And they'd say, I cannot. I, I can't. It's growing, but everything else is growing. I can't weed enough. I can't till enough. I, it's thriving and dying. At the same time. And the fourth soil is, of course, the one everybody wants. It's the one that everybody hopes for. It's the one where you, you put the seed in the ground and the light comes up out of the ground and it bears fruit in each and every seed. It's the one that everybody celebrates, right? It's, it's, it's so easy that it happens. And so you have these four particular soils. And Jesus is saying that these soils are, are much like uh, the human heart. That our hearts are all, uh, it's easy to think about this, well, it's easy to think about this uh, passage in fatalistic terms. But let's not do that. Let's think about how our hearts look like this in different seasons. The human heart is complex. Uh, and so our hearts can look very much like this too. And therefore, uh, we can receive the very same thing. And so for that's the people who can receive. We need them, but we're not always able to receive. The second part is the secret about God. Seeds were valuable. They were so valuable. Angie made it just a minute ago how valuable they were. You did not want to waste seeds. That was sustenance for your, your babies. That was sustenance for your 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 you know your family, for your neighbors. You were counted on to produce a harvest. And yet this farmer is like the most reckless, indiscriminate sower of seed in all of the history of Israel. He scatters these everywhere. Everywhere. As if, uh, you know, as if they don't value much, but you know it values a lot. They want it because it's important. There's nothing more valuable than his word. And so, what, what can we what can we know about his word? His word produces the things that we actually need, like faith. Um, what it does uh, say about faith, Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, from hearing the word of Christ. Uh, the seed, the, uh, the, the word of God, the word of truth produces and sustains hope. First Peter 1 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. It produces uh, and sustains joy. Psalm 119, how sweet are you to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The prospects of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and dripping to the honeycomb. 
So this word that gets tossed around by this indiscriminate God, who's just reckless, it's utterly precious to him. It's a letter to us that says, oh God, thank you. This Jesus said, I came first to fill the, uh, the promises of Israel, but notice about the God I, I serve, the, the God I declare, his words for everyone. Now imagine, you're in this prayer, and you're saying, I'm not, a, I'm not an Israel. I've seen uh, the Jewish community. I see all the um, obstacles into this faith. I've heard about this God, yet I have felt neglected my whole life. My family didn't talk about this. They haven't welcomed me in. I've been neglected by this God. Jesus is saying, the word of God is coming to you. It's here for you, right now. I'm giving it to you. What if uh, somebody's saying, I have been trampled on my heart. My heart is hard because of what I feel like God has done to me in my life. Jesus is saying, He's been throwing the word of truth to you. To you. He's doing it right now. He's saying, in those seasons where it's been so hard and difficult, where the circumstances of your life seem uh, impossible to grow in faith, let alone even desire to come into the kingdom, the word of God has been, been, been scattered there for you and is now. And of course, the same is true for those who. Where the weeds are growing. You're saying, in some sense, you know, he's growing the, the seeds to you now so that you can recognize the weeds that are growing all around you, the thorns that are being So, the secret about this God, he's radically generous. He's, he's growing and scattering the fruit of, of, of his word to us. Even still. Now, all of us are sitting there going, well, okay, well, how do I get to be the soil, the noble soil, the good soil? You know, I, I, I know I work hard. I can just work so hard. I will till the soil. I will do everything humanly possible to bring about a good and noble soil. And friends, you can work as hard as you want, but you can't do it without the hope of God. Can't do it without the hope of God. Just think about it. How does a farmer farm? He works so hard, night and day, thinking all the time about how to how to grow this land. But the land is completely out of his control. It's completely dependent on the providence of God. But, you know, the land is is God created the, the earth, the dirt, the dirt, the sun, the wind, everything. So he can't do it apart from the Lord. The same is true in the human heart. Our hearts are no different than that terrain. It's a combination of not just us working, but we're dependent on the fact that God is working too. That God is working too. So how do we actually, where's the hope for us? Should we just walk away in despair? No. We shouldn't, and Jesus doesn't want us to do that. I think he's, in some ways, is crying out for us not to be in despair. And why do I say that? Because in verse three, um, 
in the passage in verse 8, Jesus is just plainly teaching. And then all of a sudden, he calls out. He calls out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This would have been a really kind of shocking, awkward experience. It's like he starts clapping to get everybody's attention. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Speaking right past those who think they're in the know. Speaking right past the religious leaders, those who think that they were born with a noble and righteous soil. He says, This is for anybody. So it's important for us to see or hear Jesus and to see Jesus. Hear his words, but also to see him. Jesus is the word of God in the flesh. Right? He's the word of God coming to flesh. And what we're told is that if we put our attention on him, then our life can be fruitful too. But not just put our attention on him, but to have his word come into our very being. And how does it, all of that happen? It's by the work of the Spirit, but it happens by watching him embody what actually takes place in our hearts. And that is the seed has to die. And so Jesus comes, absorbed. Right? But he also comes to the hardest of hearts. He, he comes to the ground, the hardest of ground. And what happens? He buries it. And through that, in the tomb, he rises again as what? As the, one of the, as the first fruits of a new creation. So we can work as hard as we want. But it's not until we begin to see Jesus as the living God come in the flesh as the Word who dies so that we can actually. Live to, to a new life that our hearts begin to say, This is a God that I can feel safe with. This is a God who's not neglected me in any way, shape, or form. This is a God we're fighting for. You know, think about Jesus on the cross. On the cross, there's two other places where Jesus called out. There's one here where he called out to the, the crowds, there's a second where he called out to the temple, right? Where he's Challenging the, the religious authorities and the thievery of, of, the, of what's taking place in the temple, but on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why has that killed you? Now, if you've heard him scream, yell in these particular places, you probably would take note when he screams. And if you're feeling like God is neglecting you, he's saying, He's not neglecting you, he's neglecting me right now. So that you can, your hearts can be good and noble. You know, in Mark 10, somebody comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Jesus, I want to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There's not, nobody good but God. And he's trying to lead him to something, which is that there's a goodness about Jesus that reflects the glory of God because he's the Son of God. But the scripture also says that this earth is a noble soil. How is it noble soil? It's noble because Christ is noble. And that he does for us what we refuse to do for ourselves, which is die to ourselves. So that we can bear fruit that is not just a honor and a blessing to God, but to everybody in this room, to the world, to the sea. You know. We all know the fruits of ambition, 
or the fruits of lust or the fruits of uh, uh, self-centered behavior. But look at the fruits that Jesus you know, encourages and promises. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are the fruits that come out of watching and seeing listening. So the secret about you, about you, not only did it was the most but of course, but of course, this is about others. We need to be incredibly humble to recognize we cannot do this on our own. We can't follow Christ on your own. We can't uh, really hear and see Christ all on your own. Not only does it take him, but it takes a community. And if you're in a community, then that means that you, you know, farmers, you know, farmers knew you can't farm alone. It takes a community. It takes a whole community of people to bring the harvest together. And that was a community that understood patience very well. They understood hard work really well. But they were they also knew they had a great community to bring done. So Let's be that. Sorry, I'm terrible. <laughs> be patient with him. Trust that he's worked, he's worked hard for you. He's presently working hard for you. In your friends, be patient with them. They may be working very hard and getting nowhere. But use the gifts that Christians have it in their disposal. And they're essentially prayers. Farmers pray for their harvest because they know it's inside of their soul. We ought to be that kind of people. And when we're that kind of people, we'll be more, we'll be more patient, we'll be humble. And we'll reflect the nobility of the God who's done things.